Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Sherman Indian High School in Riverside is a boarding school where Native American students from across the country can get an education while also maintaining their tribal traditions, customs, and language. Sherman High also has a museum chronicling the school's more than 100-year history. Volunteer curator Amanda Wixon explains there were once hundreds of such schools built on reservations. There's only four left, and this is one of them, and we're the only one that has a dedicated museum and archive. During the peak of the boarding school era in the 1920s, these schools had a mission to strip Native children of their culture. Many of the schools have closed in recent decades and are now viewed as places of trauma. But Sherman High says it's different. KCRW's Megan Jamerson explains. A visit to the Sherman Indian Museum isn't complete without taking in the giant glass case of school trophies or the room full of artifacts like handwoven rugs and expertly crafted basketry. But the true treasures just might be the four generations of student stories waiting to be released from school documents. So then this is the room mainly that the students work out of. This well-organized room is bursting at the seams with history, explains Wixon, an enrolled Chickasaw and PhD student. Over 10,000 photos that were recently digitized are sitting in archival-grade containers. And then in a nearby narrow closet, shelves are packed with rosters, student bulletins, and yearbooks going back all the way to 1892. At the turn of the 20th century, these schools were built to, quote, kill the Indian and save the man by turning them into Christians and sources of labor. In the 1920s, over 80 percent of all school-age Native American children were in these schools. They were often taken by force away from their parents and communities. During these early years, children often experienced violence, mistreatment, and neglect. Did trauma take place? Is it still happening in communities? Absolutely. But there are so many additional instances of resilience, of of organizing, of putting pieces together. This is Sam Torres of the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. He says in order to have a complete picture... We have to also be able to talk about how those policies were resisted against and where that brings us into this present moment. Now, under the leadership of the first Native American Secretary of the Interior, Deb Haaland, this history is getting wide attention outside of Native communities. This summer, she ordered an investigation into cemeteries at these boarding schools where students were often buried. It seems like this is a moment where we can really put our hearts and our minds together and finally get folks to listen to what we've been saying for a long time. 
The Sherman Indian Museum has been listening for decades and doing the work of telling a nuanced story of the boarding school experience. This mission is led by the museum's director, Lorraine Sisquak, who is the glue that keeps this place together. So this was my community and this was what I want, what I felt and what supported me in my younger years. Sisquak grew up at Sherman in the 1960s. She went to public school but lived at Sherman because her grandmother was a teacher and her mother monitored the dorms. Sisquak, an enrolled Fort Sill Apache and a descendant of the Cahuilla, says when she was growing up, her tribe in Oklahoma didn't have a reservation. I wanted that for the community, for our students, for our urban community, for my own family and, you know, friends. So I think it worked out pretty good. <laughs> Today, Sherman is a place where students can learn their tribal languages and the traditional use of local plants. That's the result of efforts that started around the civil rights movement and the Red Power movement of the 1960s. Back then, alumni started returning to the school as employees, ready to reverse course on the school's early history of cultural genocide. It's also around the time that Howard Dallas got here. And for him, the boarding school experience wasn't traumatizing, but culturally affirming. I can only say that I had the greatest experience in my life, and if I could do it over again, I would do it all over again. When Dallas, an enrolled Hopi, first came to Sherman in 1966, he was 11 years old. My three sisters and myself, we were all put on a bus, and we were sent to Riverside, California. At the time, the school was called Sherman Institute, and it was still mostly a vocational school. Up until now, Dallas went to public schools with mostly white kids. So his first days at Sherman were also his first days around other Native kids. First, Dallas joined the school band to play the snare drum, where the music teacher, Mr. Green, taught him about the value of hard work. Then his small size caught the eye of the cheerleaders, who made him an Indian Brave outfit to be the mascot for the basketball team. Because we were called the Sherman Institute Braves. And as a high school student, he became a member of the student council that led the effort to get the school accredited and the name changed to Sherman Indian High School. You kind of put yourself in a position where you want to help other students understand that we can be a positive organization by helping make good changes for, for everyone. And now any chance he gets to return to campus, he does, in order to remind himself of these stories, even if he's just passing through town. I always get a point to at least drive by and, and, and just wave. A huge part of what Lorraine Sisquak does at the museum is collect the oral histories of alumni like Dallas. And listening to both the positive and negative stories is central to her work. I can't um, push one way or the other, you know, it's just their story. Having the school and museum open is one thing, but it's getting former students and Native leaders to visit that really makes this a community, says Amanda Wixon. That is the healing that's done. I mean, we can put all these things in place and do archival programs, et cetera, et cetera, but it's really like all the Native community that keeps coming back and just even their presence. And through their presence, they show how this school that was once forced on Native Americans has become a place for cultural affirmation and healing. For The California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson in Riverside. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com and Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And that's the California Report for Thursday, December 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.